Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources. Welcome back to the Brain Mastery Podcast. Today, I've got an old friend. Uh, It's nice to see a familiar face for those of you that are listening. You'll have to imagine, uh, you know, Peter is is someone that, you know, I have known uh, personally for, oh, quite a while now. And uh, 12 years, Mark. 12 years, holy smokes. And I still yeah. didn't have hair back then. Uh, you know, Peter is somebody who is, you know, a professional. He's a father. You know, he is engaged community member. He's a family man. He's somebody that's worked in leadership throughout technology. And, you know, as somebody who, you know, if I'm to define him, he's really, he's really inquisitive. You know, he's somebody who just became really passionate and interested in education. And then he just, oh, I don't know, went and took a master's degree in it because why not? Wanted to learn more. And, you know, I'm super excited to share his eclectic kind of experience with our listeners today. So, I'd like to introduce and welcome Peter Witcher to the Brain Mastery Podcast. Peter, thanks uh, for joining us. Mark, thanks so much. For, and thanks for that kind introduction. It has been a real pleasure and a privilege to have known you for these 12 years. The work that you've done, both with developmental disabilities and acquired brain disabilities, so TBI, is so impressive. And to see how you have come at it relentlessly, like the old college football lineman who you are, just relentlessly snap after snap, never giving up because I can see and have always seen your belief and knowledge that there are better solutions and that we are just scratching the surface of what we understand about the human brain, how it grows, how it changes, how we can work with it to improve lives. So you have been one of my mentors in this area. And so it's a real privilege to sit down with you. Oh, no, thank you. That, uh, that means a lot to me. You know, you're somebody who, you know, I see as a gift in my life too. So I, um, I'm grateful to have this conversation and I, and, and my hope is that through, you know, all of our shared experiences that some of the information from this conversation can really maybe help uh, someone else that might be listening right now that's kind of looking for answers, uh, that's looking for hope, that's looking for connection, that, that you know, some of the experiences that you've had and can help to inspire hope and possibility in others. So that's really what it's all about, you know, is, is providing that, that information, that value to people that are listening that really need to hear it. So Peter, you know, given your, again, wide ranging experience, for people that might be listening, again, we were talking earlier before we started recording, these might be professionals that work in the area of brain health. These might be individuals that might be looking to provide some semblance of a program for a, a daughter, a son, a fr- family member, a friend. When you think about the world of brain health, you think about neuroplasticity and you think about your lens, what's kind of where to hone in a main message that you want people to just better understand in the world of brain health, you know, what might that message be? There are two really important things that I hope everyone can come away from this discussion with, come away from their reading and their their own inquiries with. First, that we know some wonderful things about brain health. And so all those things you hear about diet, exercise, proper nutrition, being beneficial for your cognitive health, it is rock solid science. And so mindfulness and proper nutrition and having the right cardio, it's just so important. The second thing is what I alluded to earlier. We have just scratched the surface of understanding how the human brain works. And one of the greatest scientific revelations in the past hundred years has happened in our lifetime. And that's neuroplasticity. The fact that 
And this, and I say the fact, because this is rock solid science. It's proven. We know this. We know that your body is constantly generating new little neurons that creep up your spinal column and go right up into your, into your cortex. We know that based on the cognitive activity going on in your mind at the time, those little neurons are going to go to the places where they're needed. We also know that from so many experiments, and, and these are peer-reviewed, very solid, good scientific studies, that the neurons that exist in your brain can be rewired, so to speak. The connections can be changed to overcome difficulties that you may have in certain cognitive functions. And this is this was completely unknown. <laughs> this is totally unknown. Just 40 years ago, and no one believed it 15 years ago. You know, when I stumbled across it, and I'll, I'll just give you a little background. Yeah, it's great. I'll give you a little background. So I'm, I'm a technologist. So I, I got a couple of degrees in electrical engineering, computer science, and went off in Silicon Valley and became a senior executive in the semiconductor industry and had a lot of fun with that. Now I managed offices in 11 different countries, saw a lot of different things. And one of the things that kept happening to me constantly in this career was that really bright engineers would come into my office with these crazy experiments that they wanted to do, these crazy ideas. And over a period of a couple of decades, I kind of built up a a sixth sense of, yeah, that's, you've done your work. I want to investigate that more or no, you, no, 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 no. You have not done your work and I'm not going to spend time on this. So I had retired in the uh, fall of 2008 and I'm getting to why I got into this retire in the fall of 2008. And my wife makes a donation to uh, the public television station. They send us this book as a thank you gift. And this book is sitting there and the entrance way. And I'm thinking, man, I've been working 80, 80, 90 hours a week for a couple of decades. I want to read a book. I haven't read a book for a while. So this book is called The Brain That Changes Itself by Norman Deutsch. I pick it up. And I go, neuro, huh? Okay, well, I want to read a book and this was free. So I'm, I'm going to read this book. And I read chapter one. And I read the guy's background. He's Norman Deutsch is a highly accomplished psychiatrist and neuroscientist. It's a rare combination. He studies the what, that is the neuroscience, and the so what, which is the psychiatry. That is what what does it mean? Mm-hmm. And I read chapter one. I said, "Oh, this this guy's really good. He knows what he's talking about." This is a solid scientist. Then I get into chapter two, and that's about developmental disabilities. And I was riveted. The reason I was riveted is that my family basically hit the jackpot. I'm one of six. I have two brothers who are clinically diagnosed with dyslexia. Uh, One who is too old to have been diagnosed with attention deficit, but we kind of kind of suspect. I have a nephew clinically diagnosed with ADD, ADHD, and this is a good clinical diagnosis. This is not a a teacher saying, hey, this is a reputable pediatricians and psychologists with a clinical diagnosis. And a daughter with what's best described, I think, is this severe disorder of auditory processing. And that has all sorts of cascading effects to it. And so I read this book and I go, whoa, I mean, you can, you can do this. Wait, wait, wait. And it talks about this school, the school in Canada and, and this woman, Barbara Aerosmith Young. And so then she's got a book, the woman who changed her brain. And I read that and I go, no, 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 no. This, okay. This, this all looks like the stuff that engineers used to bring me that worked. Where there's smoke, there's fire. I've got to go check this out. So move up to Canada. Daughter goes to school. Daughter's life has changed. I get hooked. 
And so I think I want to learn more. And like, like you said, so I'm going to go get a master's degree in this. And then I end up in a classroom doing the auditory exercises with the students. And they're blowing me away because of it comes back to, Mark, the first thing, which is all the things that we hear. We come to mindfulness and mindful effort. And you see, and I saw those students, the ones who had mindful effort could calm themselves and mindfully focus. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. The changes that would happen when they did the right, very skillfully, elegantly designed exercises. And so that's the message. The basics that everyone hears about is true. Neuroplasticity is a scientific discovery of the, of the highest order. And we have only scratched the surface of understanding how the brain actually works. And so this field is one where there's possibility for endless discovery for decades and decades. Totally. No, that was so well, so well said. And, you know, Peter, you know, I really, something that I want people to better understand the humble guy, but I mean, I think it's kind of, there's not very many people who are inquisitive enough, right. To hop on a plane, move to another country (laughs) to go to a school that may potentially be able to, to help. And I think that, you know, I just, I really learned so much from you uh, during that process. So what Peter didn't mention is Peter was actually the equivalent of like the PTA president while he was while his daughter was at the school so he was like the, the president of the parents uh, association while I was the principal and you know we had these amazing meetings we we would meet if I recall it maybe it was a Tuesday afternoon something like that and and we would just quickly run through the agenda and the needs of the parents and Peter just is such an organized professional you know we really got our systems locked in that year for the PTA and it was you know, this constant need for information and this, in, this inquiry that continued to come out. It was just so incredibly exciting and I think really valuable for the parents having your kind of your sense of inquiry really leading the charge to meet the needs for information of the parents. And that was a, an accomplished parent group we had there, as you recall. There was some, I mean, holy smokes. <laughs> these, were, these were, yeah, these were highly accomplished expats who had come literally from all over the world to, to your school. Mm-hmm. Um, and these were, these were very sharp people um, and very demanding. But one thing that made uh, your work there so successful was, and, and I think this continues with your current venture, ABI Wellness. You understand that you're working on the leading edge of neuroscience applied neuroscience. Mm -hmm. You're actually applying it and you're not doing a study of one or two. You've got a number of clients who are working to improve their cognitive function as you did in the Aerosmith school. So you, you were really working to apply it and you were always upfront with what you did know and what you didn't know, which is so important. That integrity is critical. And oftentimes you'll find in a a school setting that senior administrators will take a perspective of, I'm an expert in education. Mm, I am the flat out expert. I've been doing this for three decades. You're a parent with your first or second child coming through here. I'm going to explain to you how things are done. And your approach was an incredibly high integrity approach. It was, hey, we're in this together. Here's what we know, okay? Here are three or four books that you can read. Here are the scientific studies. Here are the results that we have from, at that point, five years of students in this school. And Barbara Smith young has another 25 years of students mm-hmm. uh, at that point in time in her schools. Here's the data that we have. Here's what we project will happen based on that data. Here's the trend. And Mm. if you're on board with that, then that's what we're going to go do. Totally. That that fit perfectly well with this group of adventurous parents 
who I, I think they all saw the same thing I did, which was, okay, there's enough there so that if we don't do it, if we don't take a chance on it, we're going to regret it forever because there's a, like a, where there's smoke, there's fire. There's enough there so that it's right. worth trying. And besides, you got an apartment four blocks from English Beach. I mean, <laughs> come on, man. Uh, you got the Tooth and Hound Pub two blocks up, <laughs> or up Alma Street. I mean, good memory. Is, good memory. I this mean, this is not roughing it. Well, it, it's something that really speaks to again your your sense of inquiry, but also I think your you know your intuitive nature. Which could actually create a pretty good argument that that's actually rapid cognition, not intuition. But that's another podcast we'll get into. We no rapid about, cognition going on with me. That's trust. not true. That you know, when we think about you know the work of like Malcolm Gladwell and, and the social sciences, kind of you know, and just understanding and, and top performers and and complex topics. You know, you think about things like Blink, that kind of stuff. You know what is actually going on when, when you get that feeling, what underpins that feeling? Is there actually uh, an argument? And I think there is that it's actually cognitions that actually processes. And then in real time gives you that feeling (laughs) interesting. Right. And, you know, something that I think about, and, you know, when you think about that main message, I think you really did a great job there where there's smoke, there's fire. And, you know, when we're looking in the world of kind of health and wellness, and when we look at people who are suffering, you know, that's really what motivates, I know you and, and me, and we've kept in touch over the years, you know, that's kind of what helped to start some of ABI wellness was, you know, individuals like yourself who had brought, you know, children to, to our schools and had trusted them in our care. And I did what I do and said, you know, I don't know if this is going to be something that you could engage in that your child could engage in that could actually yield the kind of outcome that you're hoping for. And then they kind of educated me (laughs) saying, Mark, the standard of care is separate room, no curriculum. The standard of care, one of the families who is a big um, mentor for me, you know, I won't say their names, but, you know, they had relocated for the school. Their son had a traumatic brain injury. And at the school system he was at, you know, his vocational coursework was picking up garbage. And... And not that that's not a noble career, that is noble. However, the parents were willing to, you know, uh, deploy resourcing to bring in outside support to help to exhaust that neuroplastic potential. But I, I, you know, the school said no. And at least that's my understanding that they said no. And, And they said, Mark, that's what we're up against. You know, so if we could even get a little bit out of this, that would be such a remarkable win. Or even to have the opportunity to choose to have a a program where we could potentially increase the cognition of our son. That would be wonderful. And, you know, Mark, you let us know and the teachers, the great teachers who work in their schools, you know, if our child's unable to engage, let us know. And, you know, that was the thing that I really struggled with was we all deserve that opportunity of choice, you know, as much as possible. I, I think it's so important. And that was something that, you know, I definitely saw. And you talk about, you know, Barbara Aerosmith Young, a huge mentor in my life and friend. And Howard Eaton, who founded the the Eden Aerosmith School, is a real innovator and leader. You know, it was when we when we thought about brain injury acquired and traumatic. When we got to community or got to the outpatient side, back to community, what were the options around cognition? And there just there wasn't very much out there. And that's really what led us down this path and continues to really lead us is outcomes, right? Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, you, you touch on so many things around education. And um, there, there's just so much there. A few few uh, thoughts just jumped to my mind. Okay, is that a blink? Um, <laughs> I think just from my own experience in, in so many ways, special education instructors are absolute saints. They're unbelievable. Whether they're in public or private system, these are unbelievable, incredible people. If I had my druthers to work on education, my solution is one that uh, the taxpayers would never support. Uh, If you want to improve public education, what you do is you limit class sizes to 10 students per teacher and you double all the teachers pay. And you are going to have a 
beautiful education system. But like I said, taxpayers are never going to go for that. But that would be Peter's solution for uh, public education. And so you get, uh, especially in public systems, children with very unique needs, children, young adults, you know, they, they are in public school in the United States until uh, age 22. Uh, so they are young adults and they have very unique needs. And you have instructors who are overworked and under-resourced and underpaid and underappreciated. And they want to do everything they can because they are saints, mm-hmm. but you, you run into this gauntlet and I can't say it's that it's a nefariously planned gauntlet, but it's a gauntlet that's there, which is you want to put something into a school, it's got to be research-based. There must be research evidence. And yeah, it's good to have a high bar. It's necessary to have a high bar because there have been a lot of snake oil salespeople. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, back in the day, and this is part of the courage that, that you and your colleagues and Howard Eaton showed, the flack that you all took, unbelievable. There were pillars of the education community with howitzers aimed at you guys, just blasting away. Howard was called a fraud in print. <laughs> a fraud. You know, you just guys, look at the data. Look at the data. Stuff's happening that has never happened before. Smoke. Smoke. And we got, yeah. <laughs> and we got, you know, Barbara's got three decades of data here and okay, they can be remediated. I'll jump to tying, tying that to your finding no alternatives or no suitable alternatives for those with acquired uh, cognitive disabilities. And it comes back again with neuroplasticity. There's the old school of thought, and especially for developmental disabilities, cognitive disabilities was, okay, you got what you got. What we must do is compensate and Mm. accommodate. And you just hear that over accommodation, compensation, accommodation, compensation, which uh, means change the environment to an environment where the individual can function without frustration. Mm. And uh, what you have taken is 15 years ago was considered a radical and even cruel approach. And again, I go back to what the education establishment was saying about you folks and the courage that you showed considered by many to be cruel to push the individuals to do things that were extremely hard for them to remediate Mm -hmm. the disability. And we go back to Mark Rosenzweig and and his initial experiments, which is pretty crazy. So another story, I I went to Berkeley as a student and little did I know that when I was walking by the building where Mark Rosenzweig was continuing his research in the late seventies. And there were, there were students, they'd go out and they'd protest uh, lab rats, Mm -hmm. slaughtering of lab rats. It's like, okay, this is kind of, this is kind of weird that I would be walking by this guy's lab every day, and then I would end up in this area. And Amazing. Mark Wilson, so I first discovered that, wow, um, put a rat into a different environment and its cerebral cortex will be denser and have more connections. Huh, that's not supposed to happen. You can change the brain by the environment. It's the nature versus nurture question. Uh, but the, the courage that you folks showed to say, well, we think remediation can happen because we we have looked at the science and it says that new connections can be formed and the connections can be formed based on the activities that are being done. So how do you craft cleverly the activities so that the connections are being made that can be used repeatedly outside of the activity, what they call the transferal? Does it mm-hmm. transfer? That's such a good. Oh my God, Peter. Like, that's such so a good point. Much of that. You guys had the courage to do it. And, you know, one of the things that I remember so clearly was sitting down with uh, neurologists as we were making the decision to embark on this uh, journey with our daughter. And the neurologists were in unison saying, well, 
if it were an acquired disability, then we might support it and put our name on it because we've seen, especially occupational therapists. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. their world. Yeah. We have seen remediation aid and acquired disability. And so in what you're doing now, you're, you're really working with techniques that have been proven in places where nothing was supposed to be possible. You're applying it in an area where there is fortunately a lot of consensus that acquired injuries can be remediated to a great extent. And so I see you as bringing a new tool. You know, the, again, you keep coming out with a lot of integrity. You know, my, my, my dream, here's my dream dream is that, and you heard this dream because I'm going to steal Howard's dream, <laughs> which I'm cool. I love it. I love it. That, I want creative people copy geniuses steal outright. Yeah. And, and Howard's dream, as you know, I think maybe, maybe this is Barbara's, uh, Barbara Smith's young dream is that every child will get a complete cognitive battery very early in life before school ever starts. So you see, okay, here's the brain that we're working with. Therefore, this is the, the process that we need to go through to develop that child's brain in the optimal way so that that child can have optimal cognitive capacity uh, throughout his or her life. You know, I, I, so I look at the world, you, you look at the development of education and 150 years ago, we, we started to get universal public education and that was, that was a radical change in the world. So education became available to everyone. And so how do you do that cost effectively? Well, we know how to manufacture cost effectively. So we'll kind of set it up. Maybe it was done overtly, or maybe it was just done because, okay, we understand this process, but we're going to take a whole bunch of units and put them into a class. And then year by year, those units are going to move along the assembly line. And after 12 years, you will have finished high school graduates. And given the resources available in, in the mid-19th century, that was probably the best way to do it. If you look at the resources available in the most highly developed nations today, it's astounding. And I come back to how would I work on education? Uh, maybe how would I work on, on healthcare uh, and especially cognitive healthcare? Uh, well, I would make sure that there are a minimum number a, a, or an optimum number of clients or students per instructor. And I would make sure that those instructors are extremely well compensated mm -hmm. and that they would have access to uh, the best tools possible. And so my dream is that you take these kids and you'd have maybe 10 to one and they would be given a full cognitive battery and that cognitive battery would be repeated every six months and they would be helped in the ways that are optimal to them. I love it. And it's tailored that that's the, that's the, the most precious resource, right? It's time. And, you know, sure you, hit, you hit on so many really interesting points. And one of the ones I wanted to just really, again, just highlight was almost around like opportunity, you know, like when we think about some people who are out there and we talk about, you know, I, I just love how you spoke to this, how a lot of children or and adults are seemingly in an educational or a rehabilitation environment, but they're not even given the respect of challenge. They're not even given the opportunity of challenge. Now we look at people, you're in California, you know, where there's many innovative people, people pay a lot of money to be challenged properly, <laughs> right? In order to enable them to improve themselves. And when I think yeah, about just look at a cost of a personal trainer at a gym, <laughs> I'm not going to pay that. But you know, it's, I, I think you really hit on a point that I, I think isn't talked about enough mm. that, that I believe everybody's deserves the opportunity to have the choice to choose to be challenged in a way that would enable them to live a more independent life. 
that's fundamental to me. And yeah. there, there's a saying Absolutely. that I that you that you taught me that you probably remember what it was, but it, you know, it was, it was your goal for Hallie, and I love it because it's something I think about. It's again, you're a teacher for me, and as I think about, you know, it can get so busy with all these different terminology and different things. But the bottom line is, someone needs to be. I believe everybody deserves a choice to choose to improve, and where I and you and I are so aligned on this and where I draw the line is when, when conventional wisdom is standing in the way, it's not yet there where it needs to be. And yet there's smoke, as you mentioned, right? There's smoke, there's something, there's something that could potentially yield a better outcome for that, that population. I just think it's very important. We pay attention to it. And then at least, you know, with eyes wide open with discretion, say, wow, this could be something that could actually really help here. And, and to yeah. not discredit that, to not allow one's own biases, to not even pay attention to that, and to turn the fan on and blow that positive smoke away that could actually yield to better outcomes. I, I, that's what I really struggle with. And I don't know if you wanted to speak a little bit more to that, but that's what I really, for me, I, and I've seen a bit of it, I'm seeing less of it now, I think, because results are results and outcomes are outcomes. Yeah. But when people don't, like I think about Barbara Aerosmith Young and Howard early on, you're right. I mean, I, I can't take too much credit for that. That, that was Barbara, her whole career, and, and Howard together as a, as a tag team with many others saying, no, you know, these kids deserve this. And no, what Barbara's created here is, is enabling children to take shape of their own lives. And, and that is just so powerful. Yeah. You know, Mark, one of the, one of the very frustrating things about this uh, entire field, and I'm not going to say it's a negative thing. It's, it's a frustrating thing. Anyone who's involved in working with those who have acquired or developmental cognitive disabilities is deeply committed to helping them. That, that's why they do it. Working with someone who has a cognitive deficit that is severe enough to be a disability, that's really hard. And so people don't do it because it's, people do it because it's a mission. So there's deep, deep caring. And unfortunately, over the centuries, there's been, as I mentioned earlier, in, in my opinion, a lot of snake oil. Mm. There have been charlatans. Right. And so you will find an emotional, almost knee-jerk reaction from deeply caring people, deeply committed, uh, very experienced people. And it's almost the de facto reaction of, oh God, here's, it's, it's more BS. Uh, it's just another, you know, another someone with anecdotal evidence doesn't have the studies and is just trying to take people's money because there have been charlatans. That's frustrating. Another thing that's frustrating is when you start peeling back the onion and looking into the details of, for example, the cognitive function exercises and how they are structured and done, what you start seeing is a lot of absolutely rock-solid, proven, good, educational practice. So when you go to graduate school and you're trained formally to be an instructor, you see things like make sure ideally the level of instruction should be difficult enough so that the student is challenged, but not so difficult that the student is frustrated. Every teacher knows this. Mm. There, there is no question about that. That's how we learn. And if you look at how the Aerosmith exercises are structured, a huge part of the magic is exactly that. Mm. It's, I'm just taking as one example, make sure that it's perfectly tuned to that uh, individual's level. So, so much of what underlies it is not magic and, and not stuff that we just figured out. It's stuff that was figured out a hundred years ago as good, solid education practice. And that again, makes the, 
objections and the skepticism kind of frustrating because you know I wrote to I've got a blog. Mm-hmm. So I write, I write, I'm fascinated by the future course of technology and how it might impact big social issues. And so I wrote a fairly lengthy piece a year ago on the application of artificial intelligence to education. Mm-hmm. And my blog, it's Future Resolve. Mm-hmm. I'm going to plug myself. Future oh, yeah, please do. Yeah. One word, futureresolve.com. And I was really intrigued by a lot of activity in applying artificial intelligence to education. And th- there's a very direct analogy to cognitive function training because it's an exercise, it's repeatable training with metrics that you use. And one of the things that really jumped out at me there was how few artificial intelligence researchers were really looking at the basics of solid education practice. And if you look at the well-known research-proven elements of what should an instructor be doing, how does an instructor match with the learner to get the learner to an optimal learning state? And how do you provide optimal feedback for the learner to take the optimal next step? Lots of research on all of that. I was frustrated again because, wow, there's a lot of artificial intelligence being applied. And you got a lot of sales guys out there saying, hey, we've got AI that we can apply to your education. And I'm saying, hey, time out, time out. Let's, <laughs> no, let's look, no at, some basics. No let's look at some basics. <laughs> can how might an AI understand whether an, a learner is becoming frustrated? How might an AI understand whether a learner is being challenged? And because you know, and, and this I think is the same in occupational therapy and, re- therapy and cognitive remediation of an acquired injury, that client must be challenged, but cannot become frustrated. The challenge cannot be so hard that the individual becomes frustrated. And so then I get frustrated because I look at it and say, come on, come on, we know how to do this. We, we, yeah. we know it. But people then get lost. On the one hand, they get lost in, oh, we've seen a bunch of snake oil before. So you know, this, this is just some more of that. And on the other hand, what I wrote about is you see, oh, AI, it's AI, and AI can solve all sorts of things. Well, yeah, maybe not, not quite. I, uh, there's a lot of futures there, but oh my God, there's so much. Very long term futures. De- definitely check out the blog, and those, that'll be in the show notes because I've, I've read through it and I've read through the, the piece that you did last year, and I thought it was really, really interesting and super thought provoking. So, you know, because AI is everywhere and there are great, like wonderful things about AI, my God, but there's limits too. And I, and I think, you know, I think sometimes when we, when we extrapolate it all down, I think what's really can be really helpful is to know yourself. Like, and, and it goes back to, you know, Barbara's vision, you know, to have everybody have a full cognitive, you know, understanding of, of how you learn. And then from that, what are your biases? Right. Like, like to really to own those too. like, that's something I always really appreciated about academic conferences is people would state their biases, you know, or their affiliations or, you know, and, and a lot of times, many of us, I think, you know, I'm going to choose to be compassionate, may not be aware of some of our biases. Right. But I, I think if we can go into a meeting more mindful and understanding of what our biases are, those are the people that I'm on board with. You know, I, I often think about, you know, the really, you know, bright minds out there. I, I'm often drawn to a, tell a story about Howard Gardner, the guy who kind of has been given credit for, you know, the theory of multiple intelligences. And, you know, Howard and I were actually at a conference in Dallas, Texas, the International Mind, Brain and Education Society's inaugural conference. And at that conference, you know, it's all these postdocs and graduate students, you know, writing their PhDs and, you know, master's papers and Howard Gardner, everybody knows the name, 
you know, somebody gets up, opens a conference, and they kind of pass it over to Howard Gardner. He's kind of a disheveled man. Like, he's kind of like your, the mad scientist. Pretty awesome. And uh, I, di- I didn't know what he looked like. I just, I knew the name. And he kind of gets up there, and he's got a presence, of course, because, I mean, he's undeniably brilliant. And he gets up there, as I recall it, and just kind of, you know, says, you know, everybody's hanging on every word, kind of looking out at everybody. He's like, you know, what I think sometimes, you know, I think about all this work and my career and all of this and I've learned so much and I wonder what if I was wrong and then I go back and I look, at every, I look at everything and I go well for today it's still I think it still fits uh, I think I still stand by the theory but we'll kind of see what tomorrow brings and you, and you know you're just going whoa like that so there's somebody who knows himself there's somebody who's obviously got some self-esteem. There's somebody who's truly inquisitive and, you know, it's just powerful. And, you know, when, cause I was shocked and you look at these poor postdocs sitting up there, well, it can't be wrong. I've just finished this paper quoting them. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's great when you think about the world of health and clinical trials, you know, it's constantly asking really uh, thought provoking questions that could in turn lead to, improving you know options for people to choose to have informed choice to choose to get a little bit better if if they so choose and you know i think that you know peter you know you're someone who's a gift to me because you've always kind of run that inquiry you know through me i i remember hearing somebody from but from California is going to come to the schools. And I'm like, well, do, do, do they know about the, do they like, I'm concerned, of course, being me, I'm like, well, I'm very worried. Where are they going to live? You know, <laughs> how are they going to, I'm seeing this as my responsibility, you know, classic me. And yeah, that is you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm working on, it. but you know, it was so much inquiry led you down this road and, and, and it was, let's just see, let's see how she responds. Let's see how things go. And, you know, I, I've really learned a lot from that approach because you're so inquisitive that you, you know, very intelligent and, and we think about, you know, a complex thing and then drilling it back down to, okay, where is it coming from? And then where could it go back up to just listening to you when we were talking about AI a year ago, we were just talking about it. I had a call just talking generally about it and then the implications for education and teaching. And then where, where my mind went to was, Okay, past that, how how can that influence and change behavior? Like, like, hmm, like, is the click of a button the same reward of dopamine response as a year's worth of work towards mastering a level in clocks? You know, like, not all check marks are equal. So true. So, yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm Mark. I'm glad you came back to the uh, the concept of choice. And, you know, people ask me, because there, there are people who have either developmental or acquired cognitive deficits. And, you know, I use, I use the term cognitive deficit in a very clinical way and, and not, not in a disparaging way. I mean, it is what it is. And for most people, when it's severe enough to be a disability, it really sucks. Uh, that it just... Their, their life is not as full as it could be. There are people with deficits who choose to not remediate them. Mm-hmm. So there are people with dyslexia who choose consciously and often in, very, in a very mature way to not remediate it. And they're, they are quite comfortable and happy in their lives. And many of them will see that deficit not as a disability, but as something that enables them to see the world in a different way. They have learned how to uh, compensate with other functions. Usually they've got a lot of very high functionality in, in other areas. And so they can compensate and they find that that compensation is pleasing and beneficial. And so they choose to not try to remediate. And that's a, that is a wonderful choice. And it's even more wonderful to have the choice. And another hope that I have is that both 
in the medical system and in the education system, we will not look at it as an either or. It's okay, this child has an auditory processing deficit. Therefore, what we must do, there you have one choice and one choice only, and that choice is compensate and accommodate. That's your choice. How about how about we have more choices? And together as teams, the in in, in a uh, case of an acquired deficit, the client and the professionals and the client's chosen support people choose. Okay, this yeah. this is what's going to every life is so different, every life is so unique. No clinician, no educator can know all the details of someone's complex life, but at least allow them to have the choice. 100%. Yeah, I, I think that is such an incredible choice uh, or point because we're in a place now where there are, you know, we, in the lens that I, that I tend to spend more time in, which would be kind of like, outpatient kind of paramedical services. And we think about physical rehabilitation, you know, we're going through an ACL recovery if there's been damage there. We, how many choices do I have for a kinesiologist, physiotherapist, neurophysiotherapist, you know, osteopath, <laughs> you, you know, kinesiologists, all different plans, so many amazing plans that can yield a better result of increased strength, range of motion, speed, agility. It's awesome. Um, the model's there and it, and it works. So on the cognitive side, you know, it's not going to be as much work as we might think. What a great point. I mean, bring what that the it's there. Model. It, the model's there. The model's there. So, so what? Let's just pivot it. And that's what we're doing. You know, that's what I'm, I feel very fortunate to be a part of, you know, ABI Wellness, our mission, our vision to really, you know, provide that option on the cognitive plan. And, uh, you know, it's been, it continues to be a lot of fun, as you know, for me, you know, uh, being a part of this and, and helping to make this uh, service available to, you know, to the public. So it's fun. <laughs> and it's making a difference. And, you know, you just keep pushing, pushing the envelope on, on the technology and the practice, uh, pushing the envelope on the system. And, you know, what will be paid for? What won't be paid for? Yeah, exactly. Does your plan cover this? Does your yeah. plan not cover this? Yeah. And it's just so admirable to see you going at it, snap after <laughs> snap, playing whistle to whistle, snap to whistle, snap yeah. to whistle. Yeah. Y'all didn't yeah. know that being college, uh, college D-tackle was, was going to prepare you for this. No, no, yeah, uh, down in distance. No, it's uh, it's it's something that you know. It, it's really fortunate to be mentored by great people. You know, Howard and Barbara and the team and everybody I've had the chance to work with. All the parents. I mean, so many of the parents taught me a ton. Continue to. Everybody I come in touch with, all the clinical providers, they're helping us to better understand how we could further our impact to help more people, because we're not going to stop till things are more available. And that doesn't just mean our work. I mean, everybody's work that could be of service to other people that are currently forgotten. The thing for me, Peter, is, you know, it's not okay to not, if a solution is available, to, to not at least have an informed choice to say, no, thank you. I'm good. I'm actually going to deal with this this way. I understand what that was though. That's okay. I'm going to go this route. Because that, 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 that's what happens in other kind of, you know, areas of health. You know, if there's a chronic issue that we might be having, you know, here's a trial that we're doing that may yield a better outcome. I have to make you aware of this. <laughs> it's available. It, this is why it's great. This is the limitations. Your choice. <laughs> but, and here's the standard approach. And, and it's not, you know, this is what's great about it. And these are the limitations what would you like to do, you know, A or B? And that's the thing. I just want to be able to make that more available so that people, if they do choose, they have the options. And, uh, and, and that's the part that I really can't, can't live with is when there is an option available, 
and people aren't informed of that option to help them, that's got to change. And I'll tell you, I'm so excited because it's starting to, and it's really wonderful to see. That's fantastic. Well, just keep pushing the rock up the hill. A hundred percent. So for people that are listening, Peter, they, they want to, again, if there's any other way, uh, if you could re um, mention the blog and also other ways that people could get a hold of you, if they want to further support you, further support all the work that you're doing, how do they get a hold of you? So the blog, again, if you, you want to read my thoughts on the uh, future of technology and how tech may impact and be used to solve big, big social problems, that blog is futureresolve.com. So one word, future resolve. You can contact me through the contact uh, page there, or you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a fantastic way to get hold of me. Uh, fortunately, my surname is not very common at all. So <laughs> Peter, just search for Peter Witcher, W-I-C-H-E-R on LinkedIn. There are only two of us in North America. <laughs> only two. Uh, actually, there are only two of us on LinkedIn, which is a global platform. The other sells cars in Florida. <laughs> it would be easy to tell the difference. And I'm sure he's a fine gentleman. Never met him. I think you should just message him just to say hi, you know, and, and see what kind of cars he's got going, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, hey, um, you know, yeah, I really appreciate you. It's been so nice catching up and um, been fantastic. I, I always love your perspective and how you kind of layer things. It's it's always it's always great to hear your thoughts. So just thank you for sharing them with 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 me and and us today. And um, I'm looking forward to doing something like this again with you. Fantastic. Mark, it's been a real pleasure. It's an honor. You have done so much good work and you're relentless about it with such integrity. So this is, this is a true pleasure for me. Thanks, Peter. You bet. Thank you so much for listening to the Brain Mastery Podcast brought to you by ABI Wellness. Be sure to follow us on social media channels at ABI Wellness. The statements made regarding the Bears platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the Bears platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The Bears platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.